Imagine a world full of songs Where everyone sings along A world where no one is fighting Welcome to LDS Mission Cast, a podcast to educate and inspire in the great cause of missionary work. This is your host, Nick Galetti. This episode is the story of Jacob Pinkston, but in some ways it's also a story shared by a number of missionaries who struggle with mental and emotional health issues as it relates to serving a mission, as well as navigating the expectations many feel with regards to to serving a full 18 or 24 months as a proselyting missionary. This is a great story that I hope you guys will all enjoy. The music for this episode comes from Jordan James, who's our guest Jacob's younger brother. You can find his music and his videos on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com, look for Jordan James Singer. Now this is a little bit of a longer interview, but We share it because it's an important story about the landscape that so many have to navigate in preparing to serve a mission. So here it is now, the emotional but inspiring story of Jacob Pinkston. Begging help me, give me mercy. Can someone help? Is that the way God wanted life to be? I don't think so. Our guests on this episode of the LDS Mission Cast are a uh, mother and son. We have Christine and Jacob Pinkston, who are going to talk about the challenge that arises with some missionaries in having to encounter medical issues and adjustments to their mission calls in the middle of their missions even. So thank you guys for coming in and talking with us. We're going to start out with you, Jacob. And uh, I guess the first question is, is, and we should probably clarify, you're currently serving a mission. I am. So before we get into the details of what you're doing now, let's back up. And when did you first want to start going on a mission? When did you make that decision? That's a great question. With the situation I am currently in, I often do get to talk about weird situations for missionaries. And one thing that comes up a lot is the cultural expectation, especially in Utah, of of LDS young men serving missions. And for me, I think that in the back of my mind growing up, that expectation was there and I was okay with it. I was comfortable with it. Both my parents had served a mission. They actually met on their mission, which is an entirely different story. (laughs) (laughs) And I just knew that when I graduated high school, I was going to serve a mission. And I wasn't really concrete on the details. I kind of hoped to go out of the country. But it it was part of that expectation for me to serve. So you've always, you just that's just been kind of part of your life. It wasn't that you had to make the decision at some point. It was just there. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk now about the preparation for your mission call. When, when did you make the decision to put in your papers and how did that all go? So it's quite a loaded question. Because, oh, okay. uh, because, Unload it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So my sophomore year in high school, I'll give you a little backstory first. Right after my freshman year in high school, My family moved from Seattle, Washington to Draper, Utah. Very different. Yes, very different. I went to a high school in Seattle as a freshman that had 1,500 students with four grades. My older brother was a senior the year I was a freshman. Okay. I played some varsity basketball, and I played baseball growing up there. And I chose not to play that year, but the coach and all the players wanted me to play. And I had an abundance of friends. 
I knew almost everybody in my high school. Older grades knew me because of either sports or my older brother. When I moved to Draper, I then went to a high school that started sophomore year. And so it was like starting all over again. freshman again, again, almost. Instead of having 1,500 students, the school almost had 3,000. I went to Alta High School. Okay. No older brother. No older brother, no group of friends. And right off the bat, it was really, really tough for me to make friends. I kind of have a personality that I keep to myself. Once I know somebody... Or if I'm one-on-one with somebody, I nobody wouldn't even consider me shy. But to try and merge into already established groups of friends, I didn't know where to start, and I didn't really try either. Gotcha. And so my go-to plan was, you know, I'll make the basketball team, and I'll go from there. I'll make friends that way. It didn't exactly work out that way, though. <laughs> didn't make the team. Um, I kind of came out of nowhere, and... I played pretty well. I was a little, things were a little weird, you know, new altitude, and I never had to worry about asthma before I moved here. Yeah. And, but I didn't make the team, and I was very frustrated that I didn't make the team. I even met with the coach, me and my dad, and he basically explained to me that he didn't really know who I was. I kind of just showed up out of nowhere, and he didn't pick me because he didn't, he kind of had his set team, and he didn't want to take the chance on somebody he just barely knew. That kind of stung a lot. The only time I had ever been passed over for any sports teams was in Seattle when I decided not to play on Sunday. And so it kind of gave me a little bit of friction with the with the members of the sure. team that did make it because a lot of them I played better than and I, and I knew I did. I kind of just dove into my studies. I was already a straight-A student. I remember going to school and seeing all the people in the common area, and I hated the fact that I was alone and I didn't have anybody to talk to. And I remember every morning before class would start, I'd get to school, but before class would start, I'd just walk in a big circle around the school so that nobody would come and talk to me and nobody would notice that I was by myself. And I'd get to class early, I'd sit down, and I'd just pull out the textbook and start reading. It was to the point that I got 120% in my biology class that year. (laughs) Wow. School continued like that for around seven months. Lunchtime, I'd sit by myself, eat lunch, and then walk around the school so people wouldn't come and talk to me. Uh, Every once in a while, people would come sit by me, but I hated that even more. I don't know why I desperately wanted to make friends, but I hated. Did it feel like charity? (sighs) It might have. I can't really remember how it felt. All I knew was... I was alone, and I kind of wanted to just be left alone, but I wanted to make friends at the same time. Uh, That continued for about seven months. The only interactions I had with people were helping them in my biology class or helping them in my algebra class. So you were the smart kid in class that tutored everybody. I was. Got it. And kids wanted, like, kids that I had played against for the basketball team wanted to sit next to me. And they treated me nice enough, you know. It's not like they used me to just to get a good grade. They liked to talk to me, but they had their own group of friends. I never got invited to go out with people, and I was scared to get invited out. I didn't want to just know one person and have to deal with an entire group of people. Eventually, there was a kid in my math class. He, he was in the basketball class. He also didn't make the team. He was super small in high school. And Been he, there. Yeah. <laughs> He, But he was friends with everybody who played basketball. He was the manager. And he realized I was really good at math. And he had kind of made an effort early on 
when he realized that I was good at math, he started sitting next to me in math class and I started helping him with math. He grew to be one of the only people that I actually ended up spending any time with outside of school. And he he really did try his best to try and, you know, be my friend. But the situation I was in after seven months of having no friends and being by myself, I started to develop a really, really bad, I had a really bad self-esteem. I'm, okay. Yeah, you I, put up barriers yeah, too, I assume. Yeah, I definitely did. And I thought that I wasn't making friends because it was my fault. There had to be something wrong with me. And he would invite me to do stuff with him and his other friends, but I never felt comfortable doing that. Again, I'd have to integrate into the whole group. So I only enjoyed when it was just me and him, and he'd come over and he'd play ping pong a lot. That was all fine and dandy, but I I definitely wanted a little bit more. After that year, so that was his, he was a year older. He was a junior, I was a sophomore. After that year, both went to a new school. A new school opened up in Draper, Mm. Corner Canyon. We both went to that school. So this is my third high school. I was like, okay, you know, new school, new basketball team, you know, let's try this again. I continued to hang out with that with that same guy. He was really my only friend. Like I had acquaintances and I, I started to get to kind of know some people, but he was really my own, the only person I could call my friend. That year, I also, I again, didn't make the basketball team. I played all, you know, through the fall season and stuff, but when it came time for tryouts, I was so nervous that I just did absolutely terrible. I remember thinking after tryouts, like, I hope he doesn't pick the team based on what I just did. But he did. Through no fault of his, you know, I, I didn't make the team. And in fact, later on, he would come and tell me that, that I was the biggest mistake he made coaching. It was mm-hmm. not picking me for the team. So that year continued, and I kind of made one or two more friends, hung out a little bit more. And then over the summer, I went back to Seattle to stay with my best friend. And being with him, I was more outgoing. I had tons of friends. And I, you know, I realized that, like, this is what I'm missing, you know. And by the time I came back to Utah, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. This is getting really hard for me. Like, I I just want to feel wanted. So my my the good friend I had, he graduated and he went on his mission. Here I was senior year. Had maybe one friend, one friend that I actually did stuff with, but I, again, I realized that I was kind of missing out on my high school career. It was at this time that I got sick. My junior year, I'd struggled a little bit with with health. I got mono and I missed the last couple of months of school. And then I think it was like four days into my senior year, I got sick again Mm. and missed probably a month and a half due to that. When the time was approaching that I came back to school, I started getting anxiety attacks. I was so scared of going back to school, so scared of being alone and and not having any friends that I was like spiraled me into just something I had never expected. I got super depressed and super anxious. I remember having eight to 10 really bad anxiety attacks a day. Uh, I had anxiety attacks about brushing my teeth because it meant I'd had to, I, I would have to face the day. I proceeded then to miss the first semester of my of high school mm. of my senior year. Your senior year, yeah. Just because I was too anxious, too scared to go back to school. I started going to therapy, I started getting some help, I, I was put on medication. And then when the semester the second semester started, I went back kind of part-time to get enough credits. I was doing four work release classes, so I was only at school for like 2 hours a day. 
to get some of the classes I need. And while I had been staying home, I had also been doing like at home work programs, like online stuff and that sort of thing. It was kind of like online. It was more like workbooks okay. to pass classes. I went from being a straight A student to I failed a class. I got a B plus in a class. There goes you know my straight A's, and I barely ended up graduating. But I I did graduate, and I did become closer friends with you know that one friend that I had. I said I did work release. One of the ways that, you know, I kind of helped me get back into everyday life is I started doing, continue with a job that I had been doing before, but I started doing it full time. And after school graduated, I just went completely full time. What were you doing? There's a warehouse that filled or online orders. Okay. So you'd order something from a major website and they had it on hand. The website would give us the orders. We'd Got send it. it out. And, you know, that's, that was my life for basically the next six months. And I knew that there was no way I could serve a mission. Like it wasn't even on my mind at that point because I had barely made it through the last little bit of high school. So you were thinking this whole time, everything that you were experiencing was disqualifying you for a mission. I, there was no way I could survive on a mission during the the time, especially that that first semester of my senior year. It was about making the day. I wasn't worried about the future. I couldn't worry about the future. It was about fighting to to get to the end of the day. So how did you get to the point then where you put in your papers? That's a great question. I remember thinking, like, you know, that I, I had always planned to serve a mission, but I don't think I can. And I think talking with my bishop, he recommended that I start going to family or to, LDS, yeah, to family LDS, LDS Family Services for therapy because then I could talk about you know, whether or not I had still had a desire to serve a mission. Could I even serve a mission? Sure. And the large consensus at the time was, well, you can serve a service mission. A lot of people, you know, they're excused from full-time service because of mental or physical or emotional disabilities or things that are going on in their life. They serve service missions. And I never really thought twice about doing it. I didn't know if I felt this way then or, or if it's just looking back, but Something was like, if you do a service mission, you're going to regret just doing a service mission. You Interesting. Know, you're always going to wonder, what if? I could I, have gone. Yeah, yeah. What could you have done? Where could you have gone? You know, what would it have done for you? And so I started going to LDS Family Services. And one thing they recommended that I do is do a semester of school, just a couple of classes. So I did. So I started away yeah. from away from home. Yeah. So I had my own apartment. I did spend still a lot of time at home just because my work was around the corner. But I had my own apartment. I was taking two or three classes at UVU. And I started doing a lot better. Interesting. I guess it was just being by myself and not having to have to have friends. Okay. I don't know what it was because I didn't I didn't really have any friends there. I had some close friends from back in Seattle move out to go to BYU. And okay. I, I spent some time with them, and I guess that really helped. And the, the plan was, you know, see how you handle school, and then we can talk about a mission. Well, I did fine. I worked full time and went to, went to these couple of classes. I lived by myself, and I was doing way better than I had been doing the past year and a half. Yeah, very cool. So then it started coming up, like, to serve a mission. And I kind of just went along with it. You know, okay, this is what you need to do. We're going to practice this because in this situation, you're going to be super stressed out. My therapist diagnosed me as having social anxiety, which is kind of tough for a missionary. Sure. But then something happened, something that changed me from going through the motions to wanting to serve. 
like I said, I still spend a lot of time at home. And in fact, I have my records in a singles ward where I live, but I never really went to it because I didn't want to have to deal with that. And I remember it was the Sunday or maybe the second Sunday after a general conference and two new apostles had just been ordained, uh, Elder Rasband and Elder Redmond. And we show up at church and our stake president happened to live in our ward boundaries. He was in, he was a part of our ward and we get there and Elder Rasband is sitting on, up on the, there you go. Yeah. Turns out his son-in-law was my stake president. Oh, so this is the sun. And I didn't really like put it together. Like I was still kind of just, you know, living day to day, not as bad, but like, I wasn't really worried about the future. I didn't even really notice him. Like, my eyes never really saw him and connected, oh, that's Elder Rasband, the new apostle. My mom came to me after church, and she's good friends with the stake president's wife, who is the daughter of Elder Rasband. And she said that she actually got to meet Elder Rasband in Relief Society because he came in and talked to him. <laughs> and you'll have to excuse me if I get a little emotional. But she said that Elder Rasband came up, shook her hand, and as she was talking to him, he said... I know who you are, and I know what your son's going through. And me and President McPherson, we are praying and we are fasting for you and for your son. And when she told me that, I felt this emotion wash over me. And I didn't know what it was. Because I was so depressed, I had become numb to feelings and emotions, and I had become numb to the spirit. It had been so long since I had felt anything spiritual. Looking back, I know, I know that what I felt was, was God's love washing over me. Because at this time, I was just getting out of the stage of, I wanted to be depressed. Because I was a piece of crap, and I, when I looked in the mirror, I hated what I saw. And I hate, and I knew that God loved me because I had always been told that. And I knew it to be true. I don't know why, but I knew it. And when I felt that emotion, it was like something was telling me, I don't care if you see yourself the way you see yourself now. I will always love you. I always have loved you. And that will never change. And I've heard it described as like having, a, having someone hug you. And it, that's what it was. It was my heavenly father putting his arms around me and telling me that it was going to be okay. And looking back at, you know, something that was obviously the hardest thing in my life, those two years where I hated myself so much, people asked me what helped me get out of it. And I don't really know. I gradually got better, but that was a huge turning point for me. The love that I felt, it was powerful. And it empowered me to believe in myself and to get out of whatever I was in. So when I started thinking, seriously thinking about going on a mission, I thought, how could I have felt this empowering love and not share with anybody who will listen? And I knew I had to. I had used what I felt to get through what the feelings that I had about myself and the struggles I had with everyday life. Once I had used that, I realized that, you know, it was time to put in my papers and to 
try and share that with somebody else who needed it. So you got your endorsement from LDS Family Services, I take it? Mm -hmm. So how long ago was this that you put in your papers? I put in my papers in August of 2016, and it took some quite a long time to get them back because of what I had gone through. Sure. There's, there's quite a process that the church does. Um, so when did you get your, your initial call? must have been October. Of 2016? Yes. Okay. So August to, uh, no word August to October. I know that I reported to the MTC on November 5th. Okay. 5th? 9th. 9th. November 9th. So where was your original call to? My original call was the Oregon Salem Mission. Okay. Which, when I opened it, first of all, my little brother actually guessed the mission. (laughs) After my mom told him that that wasn't a mission, he guessed Salem, (laughs) Oregon. I didn't say that. I'm like, that's not even a mission. And uh, it rang true because I was, I struggled with feeling comfortable in high school. It's part of what led to my anxiety and my depression. And I was going back to the Northwest, somewhere where I felt I had lived, I had lived eight great years in the Northwest. You're now in the MTC. A lot of people have a difficult time adjusting in the MTC itself. Not that that's even missionary life in its regular sense. How did you manage the MTC? Did you do well? Did you have a lot of anxiety? I started off with a lot of anxiety first couple of days, but because of you know the counseling that I went through with LDS Family Services, I was able to manage. Awesome. They kind of have like I don't know if you're familiar with it, but in there's a pan, there's like a a workbook. It's called Adjusting to Missionary Life, and missionaries use it all the time. In the MTC, they use it almost every day, and in the field, they use it a lot too. Mission presidents. They have trainings on it, and they they revert back to it. And they have this scale. There's like green. You're green if you're feeling like ready for challenges and you know pumped. And yellow if you're stressed and anxious. Orange if you're having trouble sleeping and always worrying about it. And red is like having trouble sleeping, not sleeping at all. You know, just not functioning. Yeah, and I think I went in at like to use its own scale. I went in at like a yellow and by the second day I was I was up to an orange, but you know, that was kind of normal for me. Okay. After having the anxiety and the depression that I did, the way my therapist talked about it was it knocked me down. And so any any kind of anxiety that was normal would be a lot for me just because of what happened. Okay. So I wasn't too worried and then I got uh asked by my branch president to be a zone leader <laughs> for my zone in the MTC. How'd that go? It was a really awesome experience. Okay. I was so nervous because the zone leader is the one who introduces the new missionaries to the campus and talks in front of them. And I was so nervous. And I remember that first meeting. I remember, first of all, the MTC, I I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't really like the food. It destroyed my insides. <laughs> and um, It's all about the food. But the spirituality that is there is unmatched. Right. By the way, you're the second person that I've interviewed that has talked about how bad the MTC food is, <laughs> which makes me wonder if it got, like, worse since I served. I don't know, but it's like every meal they have some form of potatoes, whether it's French fries or – and it's not necess- not all the food is bad. Every once in a while, it's, you know, it's okay. But it's just that it's a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds, and they get to choose what they eat. <laughs> yeah. And so I was having one cup of their chocolate milk and one cup of apple juice, which <laughs> already goes through me. And it just, it was, it wasn't good. But uh, but anyway, get, to get back to this meeting, I had to 
you know, stand up there. And the sister training leaders, which were like the zone leaders for the girls, and my companion would all be in this meeting. And I was super nervous. And the sister training leaders were had been there two more weeks than I had. And they had done my uh, my introduction. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll just let them talk. But we get into the meeting and nobody's talking. And before, when I had when I got the call, that's when I really started praying hard. And I was praying that for the Lord qualifies whom he calls. Mm-hmm. And when I went to that meeting, I got a testimony of of that statement because I got up and not only was I fine in the meeting, but I led the entire conversation and I had no anxiety doing it. And I proceeded then to bond with almost every single elder in my zone. I knew them all by name, which was big for me. That's big for most people. The first couple of days I wrote my journal, you know, by myself and went to bed and I made it a goal because I was a zone leader and because I knew the Lord would help me that I would write in my journal outside of my individual room so that I could interact with all those elders in my zone and get to know them. Wow. And I grew pretty close with a lot of the elders in my zone. And I had a, I had a good time with them. And I learned a lot in the MTC. So you were English speaking. I was. Thank so you. Were, <laughs> <laughs> so you were in for about three weeks, I take it. And then they shipped you off to Oregon. So what was your experience in serving and then eventually what happened to you that, that caused another diversion in this, this path? I remember going out into the field. Uh, everyone's nervous. And oh, again, yeah. And again, you know, nervous for, for me was a little bit hard because it, it just, well, for whatever reason, it's it, just cranked my, yeah. it just cranked my anxiety. I didn't get along the best with my MTC companion. We did fine up until like the last couple of days and we just kind of butted heads. That's not uncommon either. (laughs) And um, I was just praying that my trainer would not be some 18-year-old fresh out of of high school and super immature. And I was – and then I got to – you know, I get off the plane. I call my parents, tell them I'm okay. I meet my mission president. And then we go to a church building and I meet my trainer. He's 24. Wow. Okay. And uh, I didn't know it then, but the Lord definitely chose him to be with me. He had been, you know, he he decided to go late on his mission, obviously. He was a member his entire life. He was less active a little bit through college, but he was there and he was ready to serve. And he was ready to train me. He was ready to get my (laughs) butt rolling. I'm academic. And so I knew the gospel really well. And my trainer, you know, we... We went into the first lesson. He's like, hey, don't worry if you don't talk. And I ended up talking the whole time. And <laughs> he's just like, he's like, wow, you teach really well. But there were other parts of the mission that were really hard for me. First of all, first off, like this is something I realized through the MTC too, was sleep was really hard for me. For whatever reason, eight hours of sleep was not enough. Okay. Right off the bat, my trainer was like, okay, if you need more sleep, we'll go to bed early. Because if I wanted to go to bed early, my companion had to go to bed early too. So right off the bat, he was there for me. And the mornings were tough. Even with that extra hour of sleep, I the first three months of my mission, I fell asleep during personal study, which is one of the first things you do in the day. Shoot, I did that too. <laughs> but and it was bad because <laughs> I would, you know, start personal study out on the couch because I was just so tired. And he's like, "No, you got to do it at your desk." So I tried it at my desk. Boom, still falling asleep, and I just get so tired through the day, and it was pretty tough. But 
like I said, this elder, he was he was ready to teach the gospel. He saw what you know the difference it made in his life, and he wanted to share it. His enthusiasm, along with his love, was was there, and it was there for our investigators, and it was there for me. It was like he was my big brother, you know. And I, looking back, I definitely would have made not made it the first three months of my mission without him. It was a really big change, and I had to get used to a lot of things. But because I was with him for four and a half months. That's why I made it. And I I didn't enjoy most of the first three months, but we had a lot of success. The success helped. So how long were you in the mission? I served a total of, of 10 months. Okay. About my four-month marker, I started clicking. You know, I started getting used to the hard stuff. Cold contacts were really hard for me. Tracting was really hard for me. Talking to people on the street. You know, I had social anxiety. I yeah. These were things I didn't do in high school, and it's why I struggled. And now I had to do them to random strangers who cussed me out, who didn't <laughs> want to hear what I had to say. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it was kind of tough for me. And there were a couple of times I was close to going home. But because of my trainer, you know, I, I stuck through it. He was there. He was every – like I remember six or seven times we sat down on really tough days and we just talked for two hours. Instead of, you know, calling my mission president saying I need to go home, I talked to him. And so after those three months, I started finding – that I was enjoying the work. I uh, still was really hard for me to do a couple of things. And at four and a half months, I got transferred to a new area, a new companion. Uh, again, first couple of weeks in the new area was tough for me, but I got blessed with another awesome companion. And as awesome as my trainer was, this was my favorite companion. He was my age. We liked the same things. We butted heads every, like, barely at all. A little bit, you know, your companions. But um, it was just awesome to be with him. He was He was like me, and he wanted to teach, and we... We didn't have as much success, but we worked hard. I really enjoyed that area. After three months there, I got transferred to uh, a different area, Monmouth, Oregon. Small, this is a smaller town. It's like 8,000 people. That's pretty small. And this time I was transferring into an area and we were both white. I didn't men- I, for- I forgot to mention that me and my trainer whitewashed our first area. Okay. When I went to Monmouth, I whitewashed the area, but... I was the senior companion. So most people that don't know the term, it means you're replacing both missionaries. Yes. So you don't have previous contacts. You don't know your investigators. You don't know the members. It's a lot of change. And something I had learned through my high school career is I don't do too well with change. And so I remember the first couple of weeks in that area, and I was just like, I know it's going to be hard. And it was hard. But I knew if I just kept going, I'd get used to it, and then I'd start enjoying it. And I, at about my... Two and a half week mark, I was enjoying it. I liked my new companion, and there was nobody to teach at the time. We had just started to teach some people. In fact, I had broken out my brand new bike that I had not yet rode on my mission because I started <laughs> in the winter. And um, then I remember the day, July 10th, <laughs> 15 days away from my 21st birthday, uh, we did some service for some members in the other ward. They weren't even on, in our ward. And we were loading stacks of hay into the back of trucks so that we could move it to the storage. And, you know, I'm young and I played sports and I was kind of fat, but like I, I was, you know, <laughs> still strong. So I was like, I'll get in the back of the truck and I'll load it because I'm with a bunch of old guys, you know, I'll give them a break. Well, the truck took kind of a corner and all the hay that I was standing on fell out of the truck and I went to- toppling out with it. Mm. And I ended up landing on the pavement and I cut open my ear. I needed seven stitches in my ear. I had road rash down my right leg and I broke my left wrist. 
you know, hospital. Heard it from my mission president's wife. <laughs> Bet you did. And uh, what were you doing? Somehow I was blessed with uh, the doctor. He was LDS. And the bone that I broke is one that's not broken a lot. It's called the scaphoid. It's right below your thumb joint. Hmm. And this bone is tricky because the way the blood gets to it, it actually has to go around some muscles to get to it. And so the blood flow is really slow and really bad to that particular bone. So breaking it 95% of the time means surgery. And takes a lot longer to heal. The one bone you don't want to break. My doctor looked at it, the one in Salem, and he's like, normally I would say, yeah, let's do surgery because it might not heal and you don't want to wait six months and then do surgery anyway. But I know that if you need surgery, you get sent home. So we're just going to, you know, it, there's there was no displacement, which was good. So we're just going to sit this out, see if it starts to heal. So I went back to my apartment and tried to continue being a missionary. But it was it was really tough. I wasn't sleeping at nights, two to three hours of sleep at most. And walking was kind of out of the question. I'd walk for about an hour and my wrist would start throbbing. I'd have to go back to my apartment and ice for 20 minutes. So I wasn't really proselyting and I wasn't sleeping and I felt terrible because I was in an awesome area. The members in my last area were just amazing. Really just took care of me and my companion and really wanted to get the work done. And I felt bad because here I was in an awesome area and I'm not doing my best for them. I'm not proselyting. The investigators that we had, we had to constantly cancel appointments and then they started canceling on Mm. us and then they just dropped off. And I was really disappointed with myself and just everything that was going on. And that I started, went on for seven weeks. That's yeah. a long time. Because yeah. most bones will heal between six and eight. By the seventh week mark, mom had to come in a little because <laughs> she had not heard from mission president yet. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah, so like I said, I, I started getting pretty depressed because I was just getting on myself and and I started feeling like a terrible missionary trying to do what I was trying to do. And there's only so much gospel material you can read and watch (laughs) before you get bored in your apartment. I had about six weeks where two of my companions had mono. And so I had about six weeks right at the beginning of my mission where I had to sit and do a lot of soul searching. (laughs) Jesus the Christ book comes in real handy then. (laughs) Well, all of it. (laughs) Six weeks all by yourself pretty much is a long time. So you, at some point, you ha- you and your mission president, I assume, had to make some type of decision. Right. So like my mom said, she kind of got involved a little bit. My mission president came and to talk to me. He's like, Elder Pinkston, your mom's worried about you, and you honestly don't look good. You have dark circles under your eyes. Last time I had an interview with you, you were all fired up. He knew I struggled in the beginning of my mission, but he's like, you know, you were doing awesome, and now you're just, you just don't seem like Elder Pinkston. I think you should go home to heal, to finish healing. And throughout these, you know, it had been about five, six weeks at that time. And I, that's all I had been thinking about is like, should I go home? Should I not? And I was really scared to go home. Something told me that if I went home, I would not be coming back out. And that was scary. That was terrifying. I had worked so hard to be there and I didn't always enjoy it. And it was really hard for me sometimes, but I worked so hard after I graduated to get to the place that I could go. I worked hard those first four and a half months just to stay out on my mission. And now how can I stay out? And now my mission president is recommending that I go home. One, I knew that it would be tough for me 
if I went home to come back out. But it was more than that. Something was telling me if I went home, I wouldn't be coming back out. And so I was stubborn. I was, no, I'm not going home. I'm staying. I don't care. I'm not sleeping. I'm not doing anything. I will literally lay here for the next six weeks. And then I had a follow-up appointment to see if my bone had started healing. And it hadn't, which I was told was completely normal for this bone. I still didn't need surgery yet. There was no displacement. Could take up to four to six months to heal, just the way the bone is. And I was in a bad place again. I I felt like a terrible missionary, but I didn't want to go home. And uh, I remember, this is kind of a side tangent, but I, I love this experience. I remember I was about a week after my mission president had originally talked to me. And he had, he had told me, you know, this is your decision. Pray about it. And I had been praying about it. You know, I knew I needed to go home, but I wasn't accepting it. And I just, I wanted to be a good missionary, but I, I didn't feel like I was. And I remember, again, the members in this ward were awesome. And, and every Sunday, you know, they'd come up to me and ask me how my wrist was doing and stuff. And one Sunday, somebody was really persistent about asking me. And she was a nurse, older lady. And to be honest, I can't even remember her name. I have it written down, <laughs> but she was super persistent about what I was doing and what I needed to do. And Everyone was being really nice to me, but I was in a bad mood. And I was, I just wanted this lady to leave me alone. I'm suffering. I, everybody's asking me about my wrist. I don't want to talk about it. Please leave me alone. And I was grumpy through that sacrament meeting. Then she comes up to me after sacrament meeting. She shakes my good hand and she kind of comes in close to my ear and she says, uh, as a mother, I need to do this. And she gives me a hug. And I was taken aback. I'm a missionary. as I haven't had a hug from any woman in a <laughs> yeah. long time. And, uh, and I was like a little frustrated at first. But then something whispered in my ear, this is from me. And I knew it was the Spirit. It was telling me that I was, I was a good missionary. That even though I couldn't work now, I had been a good missionary. He was proud of my work. And it was time to go home. Immediately, I felt terrible for being frustrated with the ward, how nice they were being to me. And that one little gesture was just the push I needed. And so I called up my mission president. I said, and before I even told him I had made a decision, he told me, your stake president reached out to me and I hadn't reached out to him. I think this is a sign you need to go home, Elder. And I said, I've received my answer. I'm ready to go home. My exit interview with my mission president, he was like, you know, this is just temporary. This is just temporary. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But in the back of my mind, I knew I wasn't going back. So you came home after 10 months and you did some rehab, I would assume, but you weren't fully released, right? No. So, well, I was released and they called it being released for a season. Okay. So the plan was... You know, try and stay in the missionary mode and, and you know, do things you need to d- be doing. I could watch TV and, you know, I could be by myself, but limit it because, you know, you need to stay in missionary mindset. Sure. We don't want to. I kept getting the three-week call from the doctor. I'd go in. Oh, three more weeks. Let's let's check it out. Three more weeks. That happened, what, four times? <laughs> Something. <laughs> and this during this time, people would ask me, are you going back out? And my answer was yes. And I kind of pushed aside the feeling that I had felt that I wasn't going back out. Three weeks, three weeks, three weeks. After about four months, oh, your wrist is healed. Great. So I can go back out. Um, physical therapy next. It'll just be three weeks. 
<laughs> How many times did we get that three weeks? Two, two or three? <laughs> As time went on, I thought more and more about going on my mission. And I was going to the, te- uh, to the temple every single week. And every single week, one thought was on my mind, going back out. And I was really scared because I really enjoyed my mission. And I saw how it changed me. And I missed the spirituality, but I was really scared because there were some really hard things for me. And I was only able to deal with them because I had dealt with them for those first four months. Sure. And knowing what I knew, eventually I came to the point that I realized I can't put myself through that again. I did it and I was a good missionary, but I I know I know what I'm getting into and I I'm scared to put myself in that situation again. You finally get another call, I guess, at some point where you're now serving a service mission. So as I was going to the temple, I was this is what I'm praying about. You know, this is what I'm thinking about most every day. And one day while in the temple, a thought comes to my mind. What if you served a service mission? And like I said, that was an option before I left, but I had completely dismissed it. But when my that thought came to me, I held on to it because I had promised God that I would serve two years. I promised him my time, my abilities, and my effort. And I wanted to finish that, but I just was scared to finish it how I thought I was supposed to. And so I went and talked to my bishop and said, Bishop, is it possible for me to finish my service as a service missionary? And that's what got the that ball rolling. Service missionaries usually, you know, that's how it starts is you talking with your bishop. So where have you been assigned? So uh, as a service missionary, you get the u- unique opportunity to actually choose where you serve. There's hundreds of options from storehouses to family history centers to welfare to church grounds to church office. There's a huge list. It just depends on what's available. I chose to work at the Bishop's Central Storehouse. Okay. It's a little bit different than what a normal storehouse does. This doesn't actually distribute food to anybody as far as families and individuals go. Everything that is produced and bought by the church first goes here, and then it is distributed to the 124 storehouses that the church has. Okay. So you're doing that, and I believe there's a temple component to it as well. Well, if you want to serve in the temple, they'll allow you one of those um, five days that you attend at the storehouse to go and serve at the temple. Oh, okay. And Jacob decided to do it and on a Friday when I work at the temple, but he actually is helping me with our family history with our own names. Okay. So instead of being um, a temple worker on a specific day, he comes on Fridays and is doing all these names that I've been waiting for decades for people to do <laughs> on our family because we're converts. Okay. Well, very cool. How are you sitting with this? That's a, I mean, that's a great question. It's something that I think about a lot. Because you're still in it. How much time yeah. do you have left, actually? I serve until January. Okay. So the way a service mission is structured, it's much more flexible than a proselyting mission. One of the things I failed to mention is that with being home for six months due to my wrist, before I even was able to go back out, I would have then had to serve 14 more months. Okay. But I had a scholarship at UVU that was waiting for me starting January 2019. And if I had went back out, I would have then had to manage that as well. I would have either had to push back my scholarship, which is a big ordeal, or serve less time than 24 months, 
which you have to write to the Quorum of the Twelve to get permission to do. So that was just another indicator to me that, hey, you're doing the right thing. Service missions, like I said, you choose your own mission. You also choose what days you serve and how long you serve, six to 24 months. So I chose to serve for a year. I started on January 2nd, and I'll finish around the same time. And school starts January 7th. Good for you. Good for you. As far as uh, as I'm sitting, you know, like I said, I do think about this a lot. And I'm, I'm really happy with where I am. There are definitely ups and, d- and downs to it. It's awesome being home. I've lost 20 pounds since <laughs> I don't since feed him home. as well as the people in Mammoth did. And, <laughs> and I exercise a lot more. Plus, you know, seven or six months of not doing anything for my wrist. Sure. And being home with my family is awesome. My little brother is doing awesome things. He's a music producer and writer, and it's awesome being able to watch him and but there are things that just cannot be replaced that you feel on your mission. The people that you meet, the people that you teach, the people that you begin to love, how you grow as yourself, what you learn for yourself. Spirituality is just unmatched. And at times I feel a little cheated out of the 14 months of experiences that I didn't get because I look so fondly at the experiences that I do have. But something I realized a little while back is that for whatever reason, I'm meant to be here. And the Lord knew that if he had told me in 2016 that I was supposed to serve a service mission and not a proselyting mission, I would have done it, but my whole life, I probably would have regretted it a little bit. But because I went on my mission and I came home, I knew what I was missing and I missed it a lot, but I didn't regret it. Yeah, you got the chance. And I knew what a full proselyting mission, you know, what it was getting you into. And I was content with the experience that I have as a service missionary, which is still awesome. I love the missionaries that I serve with, the opportunity to serve the Lord. But like I said, Gordon B. Hinckley once said that a young man will learn and grow more in the two years on his mission than he will in any other short span of time in the rest of his life. And that was so true. Preach my gospel, the very first page, the first presidency, promise you more happiness and joy in sharing the gospel than in any other part of your life. And I experienced that. That's great. Let's switch over to mom for a minute. What were some of your experiences in this story that we just heard? What, What were some of the challenges that you faced? Well, no mother likes to get an email from her son that says, don't freak out, mom. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to intro it. Yeah, that's exactly what he wrote. And we did have the privilege of Jacob made um, video diaries weekly. Um, well, he did every day, and then every P day he would send it to us, and we would get it in our Google Drive, and we'd watch the whole week. So I could physically see that his demeanor had changed. His eyes, you know, were very tired and and I knew that with Epstein-Barr that he needed, he was tired all the time with that. And you need to have sleep. So if he wasn't going to get sleep, it was only a matter of time before he crashed. No one knows what Epstein-Barr is. Virus mono. is? It's yeah. mono. I, I, yeah. I know what it is. So, um, yeah, so we just, my husband and I were just praying for him to know what, you know, what he should do. And in the meantime, we get an email that says, you know, that I prayed about it and I know what I want to do and and I'm going to come home and I'm going to heal. As a as a mom, um it was hard, but even harder was being a return missionary. How so? Um, 
my husband and I, like you said, we met on our missions, and we had always talked to the kids about, you know, how we met and how we served and the people that we loved and the experiences that we have and the friends that we still have um, from our mission, people that we actually served with. You know, being in Argentina, that we don't really see that many people from there anymore, but, you know, the fellow missionaries. Um, I wanted my, I want my children to have that experience. And I felt like if Jacob didn't go back, you know, or he didn't ever go in the first place, that he would not have that experience. And it's something that's, that I really cherish. Yeah. So that was really hard to feel like, what, you're not going to experience this like I, like I did or like your dad did. And then I realized like, this is his life. It's his mission. And it's his mission. And I couldn't be more proud. That's awesome. As a parent of a future missionary, I'm curious when you're seeing your children prepare to go and go through the preparation process, when do you start being scared for what they're going to go through as well? Because they're not under your care the same way. Oh, by the time they're 18, honey, you're You're good. (laughs) You're wanting them out of the house. (laughs) No, but all seriousness. Um, I guess because I'm a return missionary, I um, I've seen moms feel that way, yeah. and I never felt that way. Okay, my oldest son didn't choose to serve a mission, um, and so as I've seen other moms celebrating their missionary going out, that's that's still kind of hard because I was like, will any of my children ever serve? And then all that mattered to us while Jacob was going through his journey was that he was healthy. And that he was doing what he could do. We were in survival mode. Yeah. But then when he went, the elation, the joy was more than I ever thought it could be because he had to, he has such a testimony of the atonement of Jesus Christ. When he gave his farewell talk, people were like, that sounded like a homecoming talk because of what he had experienced with the Lord. He had a special gift to give to those people, and those that got to hear him were blessed because of it. And knowing that that's what your experiences are for me to get ready to send my child, if you focus on that, my advice to other moms or dads would be focus on that and know that life's hard no matter what. And yeah, a missionary just kind of crashes it all into one quick course, but if you can think about what your child has to share with somebody else from the talents that they've been through, you know, and the things that they've been through, you'll feel joy. And you, you really, I wasn't, I wasn't really ever worried, even, even when he came <laughs> home with, you know, stitches and broken hand. <laughs> if you don't mind, can I pipe in yeah. really quick? And it's just something that I do have a little bit of a unique perspective, having served both a service mission and the proselyting mission and people do get scared i don't know how to relate to the parents side but as far as the person who's going on the mission when i look at my brother sometimes i get a little worried because i know he wants to serve and i know he's a lot like me i know there's going to be some things that are tough for him but the advice that i would give to him or to anybody who's scared or worried about serving a mission is just to trust in the lord the experience that i had in my mtc that i talked about where i trusted in the lord he lifts you up He makes it dealable. It's still hard, but he makes it dealable and you come out stronger and better because of it. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you guys have both had a lot of learning experiences from this. This isn't uh, not experienced in isolation, I guess you could say. 
as far as moving forward, you've got about another, as the, the recording of this episode, about another seven months on your mission. And it's presumed that you're just going to keep, I guess you're going to be still at the a Bishop Storehouse, right? Yeah. And as far as experiences go, I mean, obviously there's, based on what you're telling me, part of what you battled was your anxiety, but part of what you battled are expectations that you've placed on your mission experience. Looking back, what kind of advice would you give someone regarding expectations on missionary experience? It's a great question because it really does have a lot, not only personal expectation, but the expectations people put on you. It's it's a real thing, especially here where LDS missionaries is kind of an expected culture. It's a rite of passage. Exactly. No matter what is said or done now, that's not going to change in the foreseeable future. But it's honestly, it's a personal thing. It's between you and the Lord. And I didn't understand that before my mission because I didn't have as strong of a relationship with, with God as I needed. And so as far as people who are dealing with other people's expectations or their own, I would say turn to scripture and turn to prayer. Pray meaningfully so that you develop a relationship with God in heaven so you can understand when and what he's saying to you. And he'll tell you what he expects of you, which is all that matters. I appreciate that. Any, any thoughts on that from the mom's side? Mom expectations were high in this one, too. I agree totally with him. Um, I think don't worry about what you, especially in being in Utah, don't worry about what you see coming and going and what other moms do to celebrate their, their child coming home from mission, going on a mission. That's where you start to formulate your own expectation of what, oh, that's what they're doing. I want to do that. And right there, you're just setting yourself up for, you know, perhaps, you know, some heartache. I think you celebrate the joy that you feel in your own family. It doesn't matter who's posting what on social media or what pictures you see or signs, you know, in the neighborhood. What really, because Jacob didn't even let me make a sign when he came home. (laughs) So you were late to picking me up at the airport. So what do you mean? (laughs) But just be happy where you are and just be and just celebrate the joy that you have. That, that's really all my advice that I could give anyone else. Okay. Oh, that's good. I appreciate both of you coming in and, and taking this time with me. And and hopefully your story, both of your stories in, in a way, can be some some kind of a guide for other people that may be encountering that situation or for those that have people that come home early, if you will, from their missions that come into their wards. There's expectations, conversations, things that are said that may appear on the surface to be kind and genuine, but maybe not so supportive sometimes um, for people that, that really do have struggles with these things. And to understand that the Lord loves us, right? The Lord loves our heart and our service and the many forms that that can come in. And uh, so thank you guys. I appreciate it. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of LDS Mission Cast. I want to also thank Jordan James for letting us use his music for this episode. Again, you can find his music on Facebook at Jordan James Singer. 
Next episode, we will interview with a little-known group you've probably never heard of, Banai Shalom. This is a group that is a resource for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or those investigating the church that come from a Jewish ancestry or from Jewish faiths. The president of that organization is going to join me for a discussion you won't want to miss. Thank you guys for listening each and every week. Our numbers are growing, but we would still love for you to share the podcast with your friends or anyone you think would enjoy it. Remember, you can listen to our latest episodes or any of our past episodes at LDSMissionCast.com. I'm holding on, I've got so much to live for Cause I am a fighter, a soldier And in this war I didn't choose I am a fighter, a winner And in this war I will not lose Because my bones they break, my heart may shake But when it comes to the end I am a fighter This time I'll win the tears you cry will always drop for now So let them out You will find out what's inside you'll count So fight the doubt Hold my hand and stand your ground Take a stand and show the world I'm a fighter now Cause I am a fighter Cause my bones they break And my heart may shake But when it comes to the end I am a fighter, a soldier And in this war I didn't choose I am a fighter, a winner And in this war I will not lose Because my bones they break, my heart may shake But when it comes to the end I am I am a fighter, I am a fighter, oh, this time I'll win.